You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the helping spirits to be with us here today to guide us in these proceedings. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those humans who were here, who lived well and died well. Those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us that we may inherit this legacy of those who have gone before us and that they may support us in understanding what must continue to help people to stand well in this great extended family here on this planet and also what must change, what must innovate, what must be made anew to respond to the challenges of our own time. And so we call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to circle round and to help us, to help us do what the living are called to do so that all that is here that is needed by those who are coming is here when they arrive. So we call out to those ancestors that are non-human, those ancestors that were here present on this planet, part of this earth's great dreaming, long before anyone ever dreamt up the first man or the first woman. And so we call out to all of the other living things that are here on this planet, these ancient, ancient animals in ancient plants, these aspects of the land that were here long before humans and will be here long after. We ask them to help us to understand that which abides that which truly matters in life and that which goes with us when we die. And may we remember to cultivate those things in each day and leave those transient things of human life at the end of the list. Let those be the things we never quite get to. So we call out to all of life that has been here before us to gather around and to help us hear the living do what we are called to do. And with all of this abundant spirit help gathered around us, let us turn our awareness from our head to our heart, from our heart to our belly, and from our belly let us reach down and touch the earth. And as we touch the earth, this planet, this home, let us take a moment and give great gratitude for life. Enormous gratitude for the wonder and the beauty and the diversity the gifts, the challenges, this walk of life. We give thanks to the earth for it all. We give great gratitude for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience it to the face of this planet. And we take a moment and drop all the way into the awe, in the miracle of life, in that piece of the great mystery that we each carry, the simple miraculous fact that we are alive. We give great thanks to the earth for this and dive deeply down with enormous gratitude in our hearts, spreading that gratitude as we go through all the layers of the earth until we reach the very center of the earth. And we take a moment touching in there to the silence and the stillness, the darkness, this place of restoration and rejuvenation. And we connect deeply to the center of the earth and we draw this energy up into our lives, Drawing into our lives the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. And as we draw up the energy of the earth into our bodies, let us use this energy to make the choice to be grounded and to take those actions in our life. To make the choice to create a place to stand and things to stand for in our life. That we use this energy to create a sense of home, a sense of hearth, a sense of belonging. And may we do so in a way that opens the door always to the other, sets a place at the table for those who are different than we are. Let us live in a way that calls in those who will bring to us that which we need to challenge us to become the people we could truly be in this life. And we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to understand connection within ourself, interconnection with others, 
with the environment and with the spirit world and ultimately the great interconnected web of life. And let us move for a moment into that oneness, give gratitude to the earth for this constant teaching that we are one with all things. And we reach out into that energy and come into right relationship with ourselves. And in that right relationship, let us draw up the energy of the earth from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind and reach out through the sky, whatever weather it holds for you, out through the sky, out through the atmosphere, all the way out in the cosmos and all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, however you understand it, however it is that you relate to it, relate to it from your heart. Make a true connection. Don't stand off concern that you're just a measly human and this is divine but reach out to it knowing that you are one even with this energy you are one with the divine and it is one with you see your face there and its face within you and draw this energy down into the oneness drawing into yourself into these proceedings into your day the energy of blessing the energy of protection the energy of generosity and benevolence and devotion these energies that inspire and illuminate the way. May you notice the mentors that are there for you and be the mentor you are being called out to be for others. May you notice those champions for your cause and may you champion the causes of others. Let us feel this energy within us and let it motivate us as well as we draw it into our head, from our head to our heart, our heart to our belly and send it all the way down to the center of the earth. And as we open up the center channel within ourselves and we connect to heaven and earth we become that connection here manifest on earth let us know this great dance of energy as this big love that has given birth to all we experience as form and let that big love awaken our hearts and let our hearts awaken to their true nature to be this great crucible of change that can draw up the fiery passions of the belly without telling them for a moment to be smaller or to dial down let call up those fiery passions on draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these two energies dance together in the heart so that they give birth to that third and most sacred thing, your own unique genius, your own soul's purpose, the reason that you have come into this life. And may you find in that gorgeous human heart of yours courage to take some action, large or small, to bring your gifts to the world. And we give thanks for all the spirit energies gathered around us, our helping spirits, all that have come to be with us here today. May what needs to be said be said. May what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And I give great gratitude to those generous humans, Susan, Andrew, Kayleen, David, Malama, all of you who are donating financially to the show, that are helping me to keep the show on the air, um, keeping it live, keeping it free for those people all over the world who are able to access the show through the internet. There are uh, five years of archives for free in the internet. And I um, give great thanks to those of you who are able to offer financially so that these resources can remain available to others uh, in the world. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, even if it drives you to distraction and irritation, you have been moved. You've been moved in the heart. And may you do this most fundamental of shamanic acts, which is to let the motivations of your heart motivate your actions in the world and do something large or small to help the show to grow you can go to whyshamanismnow.com donate any amount large or small it's all going directly to keeping the show on the air you can do all of the many things that it takes to have something grow here in the world at this time live the teachings share how it goes bring them to your journey circles um Link the site to others, all the many things that you can do to help the show be alive and well. Whatever it is that you can do, I am deeply, deeply grateful. So thank you all. And today, I would like to thank the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. This is our very last interview series sponsored by the Society, and I want to give great gratitude to the SSP for their support over the last couple of years for our interview series. Um, we are deeply, deeply grateful. 
we also feel enormously grateful, honored, and um, abundant in the fact that Sandra Ingerman is willing to spend some time and energy with us yet again here this morning. Thank you, Sandy. Yeah, it's great to be back. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Um, And also, today our topic is taking shamanism out of the box, and I'm very excited. For those of you that don't know, it's hard for me to imagine anyone might not know, but who knows, maybe there's a very first listener here today. Uh, So for those of you that don't know, Sandy is is a widely published author, a beloved teacher, and a licensed therapist, and she is recognized internationally for addressing the needs of our time directly by bridging ancient cross-cultural healing methods with our modern culture. She is the author of Soul Retrieval, Medicine for the Earth, How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, How to Thrive in Challenging Times, among other books, and also Awakening uh, to the Spirit World, The Shamanic Path of Direct Revelation, which she co-authored with Hank Wesselman and other um, beloved contributors to that book. Sandra teaches um, workshops internationally on shamanic journeying, healing, reversing environmental pollution, and using spiritual methods. She has been writing a monthly newsletter, Transmutation News, since 1998. You can go to her website, sandraingerman.com, and uh, sign up for that newsletter if you haven't done so already. This newsletter goes up out to literally thousands of people worldwide. And um, this monthly inspiration helps practitioners to stay focused on the world, um, on the work of being positive change makers in the world. There are books, there are CDs, there are DVDs, um, references, some of the best references all over the place, many produced by Sounds True. You can go to their catalog to look for things, Amazon, everywhere. <laughs> and we also have three shows with Sandy um, in our archives at whyshamanismnow.com. Um, so if you're looking for practitioners, you can go to shamanicteachers.com, um, but you can also find out about transmutation news and all these other things at Sandra Ingerman, I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N.com. So we are live today. If you'd like to ask Sandy a question, you are welcome to call in at 512 772 1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or just email me at christina at org, and I will read your question on the air. Okay, all that business taken care of. So last time Sandy was on the show, in the midst of that very interesting show, she made the comment of we need to take shamanism out of the box, which of course stopped me cold in my tracks and I totally lost track of what we were talking about because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really, really great idea. Um, and so we're here today to explore that topic. And so um, let's start out, if you don't mind, just first sort of describing the box you're talking about so that we can get everybody on the same page. And then we'll go back and we can talk about kind of why something's a problem and what we could do about it kind of piece by piece. I think we should share the box first. Absolutely. Um, Well, I think, um, and some of this is a continuation of the conversations that we've had in past shows. There's a continuity to some of the conversations that that we've had where we can keep deepening. And I think that, um, you know, in our culture today, there's um, people starting to join in to shamanic practice, which is really wonderful. You know, we really need to kind of light a fire under people to start to look at um, how we can make a spiritual contribution on the planet right now. And when you look at the times that we're living in, and I'll get back to the box here in a second, Mm -hmm. um, things are speeding up pretty quickly and, and times are getting more and more intense. I'm one of those people who still hold a a lot of hope about what the possibilities are, um, whether or not we see them in our lifetime or or not, you know, that's something that we have to surrender to, but um, not a person who believes that everything's going to end, you know, unless that's a collective choice. And so the box that I'm referring to is in our culture, in a modern day culture, we are so entranced in a collective trance. And so we bring that collective trance into our spiritual work. And one of the boxes that we um, do our work through is a lot of people think that they're doing spiritual work 
but they actually haven't done the personal work needed to understand the difference between seeing through the eyes of ego versus seeing through the eyes of spirit. And so what a lot of people in good-hearted nature um, think they're contributing to um, spiritual forms of ceremonies and healing work right now, um, many of us are still looking through so much personality and ego. And one of the things I, I feel strongly is that when we're doing our spiritual work, looking through the eyes of ego, we're not quite doing our spiritual work. And part of um, our personality and the, the needs of ego is oftentimes to create a real structure to our work. And it is true that um, some of the shamanic traditions did pass down certain ceremonies and certain ways of working. But what starts to happen in our culture is we get so um, attached to the form of the way that we journey, if people engage in shamanic journeying or do ceremony, that sometimes we lose the actual power to the work because we're putting so much structure um, around the form. And so, for example, just to give an example, I, I'm very available to the public, and I always have been ever since I've started teaching. And I am just amazed that even though I keep writing in all my books that there are so many different ways to make contact with the helping spirits, and it's not just through a shamanic journey. You can make contact um, through taking a walk, through when you're drinking a tea and uh, drinking tea, and you go into a meditative state. There's so many different ways that spirit can talk to you, and I keep encouraging people to open up all their senses when they journey and not try and watch everything like a movie or TV. And even though I write that in every one of my books, it is amazing how many letters that I receive from people on a daily basis. I can't journey because I can't see when I listen to the drumming. I'm not seeing anything. And it's like, it, it's like we put ourselves in a box that there's only one way that we can get spiritual information. And if it's not happening in that particular way, um, it's a failure. And then um, also one of the issues that come up is that many people who are drawn to spiritual work, and I think we talked about this in our last show, are trying to stay disconnected from their body. Uh, it's too painful to be here and um, end up using shamanism or other spiritual practices as a way to escape instead of deepening our shamanic work and looking at how we can fully embody so that we do break out of that collective trance and that we're living um, a, a life where we're actually alive and we start to awaken and you can't awaken if you're always trying to figure out how to get out of your body when you're doing spiritual work and because we're approaching shamanism many of us from a place of our personality needs we put a tremendous amount of form on the spirits themselves so we turn the spirits into these forms, these um, mother type or father type or friend type of beings um, that we go to for comfort and for healing, and we forget that the spirits are actually formless energies. And so by putting the spirits in a box, we're actually limiting their power um, because we focus just a little bit too much and we get a little bit too attached to their actual form. So those are a few of the things that create a box um, around the practice of shamanism, as well as how we habitually repeat certain practices um, in a way where we start to lose the power and meaning of the practices because we don't keep trying to keep our work fresh and finding uh, new ways to explore and deepen the work that we're doing. 
So it's almost like um, many of us, and I, I'm including myself in this. It's not, I'm not separating myself out from um, what's happening in the collective right now, but it's almost like we're surfing a surface wave um, in spiritual work, and we're not always allowing ourselves to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still remember um, years ago, um, in a in a class with you, uh, <laughs> you said, would you all please pay attention to coming back into your body after the journey? You're all plopping down on the floor beside yourselves. <laughs> and I just remembered, it became such a visual, like it e- immediately animated in my brain and I was kind of hysterical going into the next journey, just seeing these people like dropping out of the sky and just plopping down beside themselves. But it made me really think about the 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 translation out of the body into the journey back from the journey and into the body and that that we have to tend that that translation and not um one of the things as you're saying that i see often in people with in a in a shamanic journey based practice is that it lends to the cultural habit we already have of staying too much in our heads Right, because, exactly. because the whole journey can just be sort of in- intellectualized or psychologized or somehow just you know tossed around in our head, and and the and the, the implications of the journey on our body and what it means we now need to do is not necessarily foremost in people's minds. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it was really great that um, shamanic journeying was adapted to a way to make it uh, more accessible to a Western culture. But one of the downsides that we're seeing, you know, I've been teaching and practicing shamanic journeying for over 30 years now. And so um, it's not like I'm stepping into this world for the first time. I, you know, I can look back and I can see, okay, what are the benefits of that and what are the downsides of that? And when you look at shamanic cultures, you don't see, number one, you don't see shamans separating their spiritual practice from how they live their lives. It's not like, oh, I'm going to, you know, take a shamanic journey and, and then go back to just being an ordinary, regular person. They might hold down jobs, but they still bring through a shamanic state of consciousness all the time. So there isn't the separation that we see. But also, you really don't see shamans lying down to journey. Number one, they don't lie on blankets and get all comfortable, which you know we tend to be very attached to our comfort levels. And um, you know we get very comfortable, which actually doesn't um, allow us to stay in an awakened state in the journey. Um, but you don't really see that in shamanic cultures. In shamanic cultures around the world, it's a very active form of actually you take your body with you when you journey. Um, I used to have a a really good friend who was Hopi, and his name is Spencer. And back in the 1980s, I invited Spencer to one of my workshops on shamanic journeying. And we were driving. The workshop was in Albuquerque, and we both lived in Santa Fe. And so I was driving him down, and we were driving back. And so at the end of the workshop, I said to Spencer while we were driving in the car, so Spencer, what did you think about the workshop? And he said, well, I really liked the workshop a lot. But he said the difference the way the Hopi journey and the way you journey is the Hopi take their bodies with them. And that's really true when you look at different shamanic cultures is that the shaman actually fully steps in to the world of spirit using dance and using song, you know, they chant, shamans dance, they fully step into the world and actively engage with the spirits as we would as if we're engaging with another person. And so it's not where you just kind of lie down and let your mind go into this place where you're seeing a movie or TV you actually opened up a veil, stepped in to a shamanic world, and have um, a deep connection with the helping spirits. And so, um, you know, 
I don't, I'm actually, and this is true, I've been very public about this in my workshops for the past few years, and my students who have been with me for a really long time are saying the same thing. I don't really journey for myself anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I, get, I get amazing amounts of information from my spirits because they're always with me. And it, it doesn't mean I'm sitting on the phone with you and I'm in some trance state. And um, it, it's where, you know, I can still drive. I can still completely function in the world. I'm not in a journey all the time. But I don't separate the worlds as much as when I first started my journey practice 30 years ago of go into that world, fully disconnect, come back, and maintain a very clear separation between the worlds. They're not that separate, and they never have been in shamanic cultures. And so I take walks in nature every day that I can, um, depending on my schedule and and the weather, but I'm out in nature as much as possible, and that's where I get some of my deepest revelations when I'm trying to get answers for myself or about my writing or how I need to change my teaching. Um, I get it literally. I drink tea every morning for a while in bed, and it's amazing what I can download from my spirits (laughs) while I'm doing that. But I actually find I can I still use the journeying when I do healing work for other people, but I actually find for myself that sometimes the drumming and taking time out to lie down and do a journey in some ways actually becomes a distraction between mm-hmm. me and the helping spirits because it's such a repetitive way that I've been working for so long it it doesn't um it no longer uh supports a type of clarity that can take me from the surface into a deeper state i don't know if that makes sense or not yeah it does it's 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 tricky i'm kind of chuckling here though because there are certain like from for, for me as i i think what was happening as i was kind of coming into this place you're talking about as a practitioner because it's certainly a place that you you know kind of eventually arrive at but so what was happening in my journeys is i felt like i wasn't getting any answers i could feel i was clearly in the state but there was sort of like no answers there and and then i realized oh you already gave me these answers. And then it was like, oh, she's finally catching on, right? You know, and so then all these answers I already had been given about whatever I was asking about all sort of fell into place. And I started really getting a sense then, oh, so then if I were to enter into a journey about this, it would really just check to make sure that it's complete or have I missed something deeper or are all of these ideas just getting to me a place where I can actually see something beyond this? You know, that it's not, it's not about checking my work. Right. (laughs) And so, uh, but it was a funny time where, where all of a sudden I felt, you know, so strong in my journeys for other, but I was kind of like, well, what's happening to mine? Well, I, they're here, but nothing's happening. And I realized, you know, I wasn't asking the right question. Right. But the other side of that, though, is it's also easy to to use that as a, you know, back to the whole ego thing. I mean, I also experience people saying, oh, I don't need to journey anymore. But it's clearly coming from this ego place. Right. And so it's tricky. It's all, Well, it's all tricky. I mean, first <laughs> of all, I can see listeners saying, well, wait a second, you know, you wrote these books on journeying, and I studied with people who taught that, you know, there's a particular way to journey. There's, there's, there isn't a right way, and I think that's one of the boxes that needs to be broken, is that there is not a right way. And so I have a lot of students who really do need to, to take a formal journey and do that ceremony um, in order to make that strong connection with spirits. And then there's the people who I meet. You know, I've tried every suggestion that you've given me, and I'm not doing it right or something's wrong, and it's not that people aren't doing it right or that there's something wrong. It's that we all... um, we all have to find our doorway into the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where we're putting things in a box, is we're saying this is the way to get into the realm of spirit. And it's not. And I think that's one of the reasons I can't say I'll never go back um, for myself to formal journeys again. But it's like I had to break a particular routine and open up to other ways that the spirits can come through and meet me because my journey practice had become for myself, not when I work for others, but for myself, I I felt like I was staying on a surface. I wasn't going to a deeper place. So it's like I had to break a habitual way of working and find other ways to make, you know, contact in order Mm -hmm. to freshen my practice. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to go back. You know, nothing is forever. And, you know, that's another place where we put things in the box is this is the method. You stick to the method and you don't change the method. Um, You keep doing the same thing. And so we have to be more flexible with our practice and find different ways to work. Um, And we have to be completely devoted to be doing our personal work while we're doing any spiritual practice, whether it's meditation, yoga, qigong, journeying. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, a, A lot of times people just immediately think, that when they engage in shamanic journeying, that that's going to take care of everything that's going on in their psychological world and also in their physical world. And that's not true. You know, we really have to put an effort in to work on ourselves so that we're not projecting our ego into all of our work. And whether you say, I don't need to journey anymore because you're coming from a place of ego, or whether you journey all the time and come up with this information from your helping spirits that's always feeding your ego, it's the same thing. Um, Right. You know, there's no difference on that. And so some people might say, well, I've evolved out of needing to do shamanic journeying because their ego is saying that. And some people are just bringing through a tremendous amount of wealth of information that's only feeding their ego mm-hmm. um, and not asking them to look from a deeper place like um, issues like um, are we putting our own egoic desires aside? Um, how much are we connecting with the spiritual community in the invisible world to work with the power of focused intent? How much are we projecting um, what we believe the outcome is supposed to be? How much are we um, being attached to the inf- the kinds of information that we get? How much are we trying to uh, feel like we have a better sense of control in our own life by trying to control the spirits? Um, you know, it, it all goes back to uh, how much personal work are we doing so that we're actually being truthful with ourselves. And um, I think that many of us are caught up in really looking through the eyes of ego when we think we're looking through the eyes of spirit. Well, and I think one thing people don't fully appreciate is we're not saying this just because we're, you know, placing a value judgment on ego or not. But if you're in the position of offering information to another person and you're interpreting your journey through the eyes of ego, you're misinforming them. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one thing to misinform yourself. <laughs> like That's your lesson. But it's a very different thing when you're now in service of another person or even a group of people because you're, you're leading them astray, quite literally. Right. Um, well, even if we want to go... In, in a little bit different direction with what you just said, um, are we as egos and personalities addicted to information? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that goes back to one of the, the places I feel that we're putting shamanism in a box is um, how we've now put projected so much form on the spirits and rely so much on them for information where um, one of the things I've been writing about and one of the things I teach in my workshops is 
I tell people about an experience I had. Um, it was many, many years ago. It was, it was over 10 years ago where I was teaching a group how to merge with a helping spirit. And I was doing a demonstration. And, and my teacher that I work with is the Egyptian goddess Isis. And so I, I had merged with Isis and I was letting the group ask questions of Isis. And one of the questions that a member in the group asked was, can Isis see all the power animals and teachers in the circle here? And Isis's response was quite revealing. She said, there are no power animals and teachers. We, you give them a form by giving them a name. Mm-hmm. And so I went home from that workshop and I asked, I did a journey, put on my drumming CD, <laughs> and I, I asked Isis if she was willing to drop her form and let me just merge with her energy, her, mm-hmm. you know, unlimited energy. And I was pretty blown away. It was like yeah. somebody being put in a, you know, a, a socket and, you know, way too much energy was coming mm-hmm. through. Luckily, I kind of after years, I know how to manage that a bit. But what I realized and how I teach this in some of my workshops is um, we've given the, the spirits a form, so we've put them in a box. You know, we put a boundary mm-hmm. around them. So we've really limited them on how much they can bring through. Uh, we journey when we do healing work as a form, and then we see our clients as these poor, sick forms who are suffering. And then we wonder oftentimes why we're not getting some of the results that we can get. And some of not getting the results, you know, has to do with timing and it has to do with how much commitment the client makes to their own healing process too. But a question that I just like to hold and put out there in some of my workshops is, is part of the issue that we've we've put so much form around the spiritual realms that they can't bring through the unlimited, unpotentiated energy that could transform not just an issue that's going on for a client, but that's going on in the world right now. You know, because we're it's almost like we go to see a form as a form, and we see our clients in the world as form, and if we would allow those boundaries to um, uh, lessen a bit and let that energy come through, could we bring through some of that power that you really see um, the true shamans were able to bring through? And when I say the true shamans, the ones who had those really deep initiation experiences where they did expand way past ego and went out and connected with the power of universe without form and were able to bring that through through their presence, not by their methods or the techniques that they use, but through their presence. And so how much are we putting a box around our healing methods instead of letting that presence of the divine come through um, to stimulate healing for an individual, for our community, or for the world itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm also sort of wondering how two of the things you've put together fit together, which is if people don't really want to be in their bodies, then it's sort of like they're not even willing to inhabit the limitlessness of their own being you know much less you know isis without a form you know it's like it's like how can we expect to even embody these helping spirits if we won't even embody ourselves absolutely and you know it's it's a challenge that i have because you know i i am very passionate about teaching the practice that i call transfiguration transfiguration being uh, looking at experiencing who we are be beyond a body and who we are beyond our mind, which is pure spirit. Now, we are pure spirit that is um, inhabiting a body as a temple that carries our spirit through life. And so it's it's learning about how to be in life fully and experience <clears throat> the preciousness of a body, you know, of being... Um, 
of having access to all these amazing senses that go along with being a body while at the same time remembering that we're also a spiritual being too. And that's a bit of a paradox, but it's a paradox that we all have to dance in life of I'm a divine being. And when I look at a different level, I'm also a body and um, a personality having an adventure on this earth too. And we're constantly dancing back and forth those two. But when I teach the practice of transfiguration, I keep telling people it's not an out-of-body experience. You're not going anywhere to experience the divine. You're traveling within and experiencing your divine light, your starlight. You know, I try to get people to focus on being a star like a star in the night sky and understanding the power of how a star radiates without effort and doesn't send with attachment, a star just radiates, you know, and lights up and the earth and creates amazing beauty. And we we find that when we go into a place of bringing our divinity through, it's like, oh, I have to work too hard to do this. And it's not about work. Or am I healing somebody without permission? It's no. Does a star ask for permission where it's going to shine its light? You know, and but there's a lot of confusion when I tell people you're not going anywhere to do this journey. Mm-hmm. You're going mm-hmm. within to do this journey. Because as you say, um, people are so used to going somewhere um, mm-hmm. in a shamanic journey. And part of that has to do with uh, not always knowing how to embody ourselves. Yeah, I was actually doing some of this work at a workshop that was very interesting because basically the workshop was all about journeying within your own heart and working on that landscape with spirit. Mm-hmm. And this woman left because she she had rules around journeying in the middle world. <laughs> that um, is the biggest box <laughs> that we have like, to break out um, of. We live in the middle world. <laughs> um, hello, you're in your own heart. But oh no, I have to have this and this and this and this in place if I'm journeying in the middle world. So this can't possibly be safe. I might, but we're all in our hearts. <laughs> I know. It was, it was just, you know, I yeah. get scared sometimes. You know, I really do. <laughs> But we all have to start somewhere. Right. So, right. Um, but I do get scared at some of the comments <laughs> that I hear and read. And, and the fears. And where where did that fear get planted? You know, to me personally, that fear got planted um, by wanting to control um, students. Because we do live in nature, and if we do really embrace the teaching uh, in shamanism that everything is alive and everything has a spirit, how could you say it's not okay to speak to your own heart? How is it okay to not say, I, I can't connect with um, a tree because, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I have to have my, all my safety measures in place. That removes us, um, number one, from the power of direct revelation, which is what shamanism is about. And it also uh, creates an us-them between nature and ourselves, which is why we're in the planetary situation that we're in right now, is because we've stopped looking at nature as part of our community. And so, you know, to make those kinds of distinctions that I can't do work um, with nature beings or myself in the middle world is just another way of creating more separation, which is how we got ourselves into the place that we're in right now. Yeah, I know that... um... One of the boxes that I I see, I think, and I don't know, I'd like to know your thoughts on this, is also this psychoanalytical box. Like I try to encourage people to interpret their journeys, as you've just described, through nature, through a sense of oneness being the underlying principle. You know, interpret your shamanic journeys shamanically. (laughs) 
<laughs> and and there's this this way of sort of um, dismantling the journey through this almost like psychoanalysis of what it all means. And um, it, I don't know. It feels to me, to me at least, it feels to me to be a way that people disempowered their journey from the punch it really had in the message. Well, yeah. And one of the things that I share over and over and over again is that all journeys are shared as a metaphor, um, mm-hmm. which is how all spiritual uh, practices, I mean, the Bible was written as a metaphor. Um, you know, everything was is written in metaphor. Anything spiritual is written in metaphor. I mean, that's an understood ancient teaching. And so what happens in a modern-day culture, a psychologically sophisticated culture, is that we interpret everything literally. And um, one of the things I was just writing about was, um, you know, it's not uncommon for a client who is given a terminal illness to come to a shamanic practitioner um, You know, somebody who's given a diagnosis of a terminal illness comes to a shamanic practitioner and wants the person to journey to their power animal or teacher and tell them if they're going to live or die. And the power animal teacher says you're going to die. Well, that's the only answer to give. Because even if the person heals from their illness, they have to die to their way of life in order to live. So it's like death is is the only answer for every healing, you know, whether we transcend into spirit world um, or we stay here, um, there's going to be a transition. There's going to be a death that happens to us. And so, again, we're, we're always looking in some ways for safety or to, to think that we're in control of our lives by um, collecting this information from our spirits and um, for safety purposes, we interpret everything literally when the spirits are not speaking to us in a literal fashion. They're trying to get us to expand out of our typical mental box that we put ourselves in and look at the poetry and look at the metaphor So I'm trying to, I always ask people, look at the metaphor first before you start to, you know, try and see if this is a literal answer. What would it be on a metaphorical level before you put the information in a box? You know, again, expand out of that box and see all the different levels that the spirits are communicating to us on. So what do you think... What do you think is required for us to stop surfing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in order to stop surfing, we have to be willing to break out of the collective trance. And the collective trance is so strong that many of us, again, I'm not separating myself from anybody else. I'm in this with all of us. Many of us think we're breaking out of the collective trance while we're still practicing shamanism out of the collective trance. And so I think that there are things that we can do to start to wake up a bit. And one of the things we can do, and this was part of our conversation last time, is about starting to um, aliven our senses more and more. And where we're so used to being fed images from TV and movies, and we're so um, used to being fed sounds through our smartphones and um, MP3 players, uh, and, you know, we're fed smells um, through incense and scented candles and taste through artificial um, flavorings. you know, where you actually make a discipline of starting to go out in nature or perceive yourself during your day and wake up your senses more. Start to get your own inner and outer senses um, awake and look at the colors, really look at them, um, break out of that collective trance where we kind of look at the images because we 
get so overwhelmed, we shut down. So by going to, out into nature, to a park, if you live in a city, and spending some time with a plant and really examining the details of the leaves and the colors and the beauty and how it's growing and its relationship to the other plants that are growing near it um, and really opening up our ears and listening to sounds and taking some time to breathe in the smell of a, of a fresh rose, not just the incense of rose, and really touch and, and feel what that feels like to touch and take some time to not season your food and, and taste fresh vegetables and what that really tastes like. That starts to, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. It starts to wake up your body and when you start to wake up your body, you start to wake up out of the trance um, a little bit more. And and to cut down on um, some of the distractions, um, we are so uh, into collecting information, and, and all that information keeps us on the surface because we end up collecting so much information. We can't. There's no way to deepen ourselves. And so you know, pick one inspirational book instead of reading 10 and really follow the metaphors that are coming through in those messages and allow it to um, speak to the depths of your soul. Um, and, you know, pick a practice that you can really focus on for a while and find new, different, fresh ways to do it. So if you usually lay down to journey, stand up and journey. If you usually listen to a drumming CD, try drumming for yourself. Um, do something a little bit different so that you get out of a repetitive pattern that you might be repeating. You know, these are some simple ways. I'm not talking about anything complex here. These are just some simple ways that we can start to wake ourselves up a bit more. Yeah, I notice you know, I'm listening to you and thinking, you know, there's also this tendency, I think, of people wanting to make it look spiritual um, because given what you were just saying, someone could take their time at the gym, you know, and just right. feel themselves sweating, feel their heart beat rising, you know, and they could spend the entire time just being involved in, the sen- in, in opening up the senses of their body during their 30-minute, 45, their, you know, mm-hmm. spinning class, whatever they're doing. And, the, and that thing that tends to be considered, oh, that's my time at the gym, can, can become part of your spiritual practice if you, if you exactly. use it to be in your body and pay attention and, you know, smell what you smell like. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, not distract yourself. And yeah. part of the distraction is when you're at the gym looking around to see what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the distraction in shamanic work, too, is you might distract yourself by reading too many books or going to too many workshops and you're so busy trying to see what everybody else is doing that you're not really doing your practice. Um, So, you know, it really is about cutting down on the distractions and really focusing on our experience. And, um, you know, as you can focus on your experience, then you can connect to the web of life because you're awake enough to to connect to the web of life. Otherwise, it's just a term that we use yeah. without any meaning behind it. And I I, um, I think another piece of this, like you're saying, in terms of opening our senses is, you know, is also being willing to open our hearts and, and feel the feelings of this and um, right. connect. And allow ourselves, allow it, you have to allow your heart to be broken before it can expand and connect. And so not to run away from the depths of your feelings. One of the greatest things I learned while my father was dying because my heart was breaking. I felt like my heart was just broken daily um, because he was really had a tough time at the end. And what I realized is heartbreak is actually heart expansion. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening for me during this um, few months was I all of a sudden noticed I could bring through more love. Mm-hmm. I could bring through more love, unconditional love for him, 
that helped him in his transition and I could bring through more unconditional love for, for others. And so it's not about running away from our feelings, but fully embracing our feelings and allowing ourselves to be afraid of what might happen because, you know, our personality oftentimes fears. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, or we do feel um, our heart is breaking when we see and experience different challenges going on for others. To really allow ourselves to immerse in the feelings, not get lost in the feelings, but immerse in the feelings. And that also gets um, us open on many different levels, too, so that we can bring through more energies. And we do have to commit to um, an exercise practice. We have to commit to an exercise practice to be able to bring through those formless energies I was talking about and being able to embrace higher and higher frequencies because it's those frequencies that we can radiate that do have the power to transform a lot that's going on in the world. But so many people don't take care of themselves on a physical level that as soon as they start to bring through a higher frequency, they start to feel like it's too much voltage coming through. Mm-hmm. And, it's, mm-hmm. and so we really have to commit to our body, our emotions, and our spirit so that we can keep um, bringing through being a more expansive vessel and bringing through the energies that can really heal and transform right now. Well, I think that, uh, you know, an aspect of exactly that is also realizing there are certain things that are considered common sort of right as a contemporary American to get to do A, B, and C. And I find that there are certain things, activities I can't participate in anymore. It's just, it, it's so contrary to exactly what you're talking about of this this ongoing cultivation of being a person who is growing in this work, I can't go to enormous huge groups where everybody's going to be drinking and smoking and acting right. out of their soul loss. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't, can't right. do that anymore. I don't care how great the blues band is. You know, I just can't do, you know, and, and the willingness to make that sacrifice to become this other person who can mm-hmm. do this other thing. You know? We all have to make choices right now of what's healthy for ourselves, whether like you say, disconnecting from certain groups that we're with um, or turning off the news or um, not reading so, you know, so much of what's going on. We all have to make certain choices as we allow a particular growth process to happen. And it doesn't mean we might not be able to come back to all of that from a different state of consciousness and be able to embrace more and be able to be a vessel of light Um, no matter where you are, but right now we all have to make choices of what are those unhealthy places in life that we need to temporarily, possibly permanently disconnect from so that we can allow whatever process is growing in us to grow and evolve and to make us deeper people who can contain and bring through more. Yeah, yeah. Is there any sort of final final thing that you'd like to say here this morning about uh, two practitioners about getting out of this collective trance and out of the box and bringing their gifts to the world? Well, I think, um, I think just really encouraging practitioners to freshen up your practice. Try different things. If you journey all the time, try and go out into nature. Um, as I said, if you only lie down when you journeys, try a different way, sit up, stand up. Um, Do whatever you need to do to really start to open up your senses and awaken and aliven your senses. You know, it will help you with your spiritual work because it will uh, wake up your own intuitive um, sense inside of yourself because your intuition comes through your senses too, what you feel, you hear, and you see in the spiritual realms. And lastly, just to remember the power that we have to work together as a cooperative and collaborative community. And as we could work with the power of focused intent and to 
let go of um, if we agree or disagree with other what other people are teaching or whatever practitioners are doing, but just set our intent to be positive change makers and to do our spiritual work together um, to create that change. I think is um, what we're really going to see is going to be the big force in the future hmm. for the present and the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sandy, for joining us here today, and thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing in the world. And thank you too, Christine, and it's always a joy to chat with you. <laughs> thank you. So those of you who are looking for access to the things that we've talked about today, you can go to Sandra Ingerman, S-A-N-D-R-A, ingerman.com and just click around you'll find everything um, so I'd like to give thanks um, to the ancestors that have gathered around us here today all of our helping spirits um, to the earth below the sky above and to the heart that unites us all thank you everyone for listening and um, may you all find the courage to get out of whatever box you've put yourself in and feel that true expansive formless divinity that you are thank you everyone <laughs>